Good morning. My name is Donald. I am one of the pastors here at First Alliance, and I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is always a privilege to stand before you to share a word from God. It's always my earnest desire that you hear not so much my voice but the voice of God. And therefore, I am not ashamed to ask you to pray while I preach so that you will hear from him. For it is he who nourishes your souls and not mere words. And so please, please pray that you will hear his voice as we share from his word today. From the passage that has just been read and even beyond that, the, all of the 22 verses of Psalm 34, my prayer is that the Lord will speak to you and please know that there's so much more that can be gained from this psalm than I am able or have time to share today. And even if I had the time, I may not have the ability, for it is the Lord who determines what you should and should not hear today. And so I pray that you will seek the Lord for all that he desires of and for you, for your good, but above your good, for his glory. Please know that God's glory trumps everything else. Uh, let me say that again. God's glory trumps your ability to pay your mortgage. God's glory trumps your ability to be made well. God's glory trumps your ability for any good thing that you deserve and you, you choose to, to, to receive in life. I don't I take that word deserve out of there. God's glory trumps it. It just so happens that your well-being is an aspect of his glory. God is glorified as he pours out his blessings upon you and upon me. And so we should give him the praise. For he is the one who deserves it, and he deserves it all. So again, I ask that you would pray that as I share a word from God today, that you will hear from him. Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the provisions you've made for our lives, both here and for all of eternity. And Lord, we declare today that only a good God would do what you have done. We also declare that only an all-wise and an all-powerful God could do what you have done. And so all praise, glory, and all honor belong to you. Grant, Lord, that your spirit will speak to our hearts, that you would give us the ability to hear what thus saith the Lord. And as your spirit, O oh God, moves in our lives, Lord, may we render you the praise, the glory, and the honor that's due your name. May we do it not only in this place, in this gathering, 
but wherever you will carry us. For truly your word declares, and we agree it with it, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, your name is to be praised. Thank you. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speaking to you from Psalm 34, the subject that we are using is basically this. The Lord, our provider and deliverer. And you can also add to that word deliverer, redeemer. The Lord, our provider and deliverer and redeemer. In my preparation for this sermon, I did something that I haven't done before. I'm used to reading a passage of scripture over and over and over and over again as I prepare for a lesson. But this time I, I went a little bit further. I actually began to write out. And when I say write out, I actually mean I typed out on my keyboard, on the computer. But I actually began to write out day after day the words of this song. The hope was that in doing so, the Lord would perk my heart and give me the ability to see things that perhaps I would have missed in the past. And mind you, these are simple things, and yet they are profound within and of themselves. And so as I wrote this, the thought occurred to me that maybe, maybe some of you are doing this all yourselves. That as you have your devotions, that you actually write out the passage of scripture that you are studying, that you are asking the Lord to speak to you from. And just to point out some things very, 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 very quickly here. In the very first three verses, we see that this is all about worship. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. How many of you get up to in each day and say, I will bless the Lord? And then it says, at all times. The next phrase says, his praise, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, if the praise of the Lord is continually in our mouth, it doesn't leave much room for a lot of other things. Now, I don't mean to imply that you do not take care of the business of the day. If you're a school teacher, then you need to teach the lessons. But in back of all of the lessons that you're teaching the students, the praise of God ought to be in your heart. And wherever an opportunity presents itself, you let it come out. The praises of the Lord. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. It says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Then he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Consider this, if you will. In happy moments, bless God. In challenging moments, turn to God. In silent moments, worship God. And there ought to be a slide up there. Maybe I didn't put it in there. In hurting moments, believe God. In every moment, be thankful to God. And in this moment, seek God. 
A couple of questions. What do you want God to say to you during this time? That's a question that you need to ask yourself. What do I want you to say to me, God, in this time? And then the next question is, how do you plan to respond to God when he speaks to your heart? Do you have a thankful heart? Someone suggested that uh, perhaps we should eliminate Thanksgiving Day and have that one day as a national gripe day and spend the rest of the year just thanking God. Not just one day, but every day. Now, obviously, that's the humor in this is really that we should spend every day because every day is a day of thanksgiving. If you can open your eyes, it is a day of thanksgiving. If you can, you, you can know that you, where you are, if you, I remember some, some people were, were wrestling with this, this phrase, I, 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 I woke up this morning, I was clothed in my right mind, and, and some theologians were, were do, trying to dissect that, to figure out, what does that mean? I woke up this morning, I was clothed in my right mind, and, and theologians with their, their degrees were debating that throughout the day, and, and finally this, this learned preacher who had only had a grade school education got up and because he had been quiet because he didn't have that those letters behind his name so he said brothers i've been listening to you but but i just want to tell you what it means to me that when i woke up this morning i knew where i was when i woke up this morning i knew who i was when i woke up this morning i knew whose i was and to me, that means that I was clothed in my right mind. And so it doesn't have to be, prof be, be profound. God himself is profound. And so we would think about him. Do we have a thankful heart? The psalmist is expressing here a spirit of thanksgiving and praise. The heading in my Bible says that this is a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, that is King Achish, a king of Achish rather, uh, who drove him away and he departed. David engaged in worship because of what God has done. Worship is supreme. When the early church gathered, the time was spent in worship and praise unto God for what Jesus had done for them. The gatherers were extolling God for his mercy and grace. We find the psalmist doing the same thing. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Just a few nuggets I, I gleaned from my study. Authentic worship is not a part-time endeavor. Authentic worship is not a part-time endeavor. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually. Psalm 9.1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart and tell of all his wonders. Aren't you glad that God is not a part-time God? What if God were available only from 10.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings? What if you had to make an appointment to see God or to talk with God? 
Where would we be and what would we do if Jehovah were a God who punches a clock or a God who takes a vacation just when you're going through a crisis in your life? Where would you be? What would you do? Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the Lord's loving kindnesses never cease, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No wonder the psalmist says, from the rising of the sun until the setting of the same, your name is to be praised. Authentic worship springs from a heart of gratitude and love. We're not talking about cold duty to be performed. We're talking about a heart that is aglow with joy. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Is what Jesus teaches. And Jesus is simply quoting from the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And they were taught all the way back in Deuteronomy to cultivate this. To cultivate a heart of love and gratitude toward God. You know, when Paul writes to the saints at Rome, he urges them, to present their bodies a living sacrifice unto God. But the basis of his urging is that I, be, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, I, I urge you on the basis that God's been good to you, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable, not your unreasonable, your reasonable service of worship. So we should cultivate a heart of gratitude. We should make it a point to share with somebody, with our spouse, with our children, every day something that God is doing in your life. Or something that you witness God doing. You should be able to, even if it's nothing more than, I woke up this morning, praise God. We should make it a point to share with somebody, cultivate a heart of gratitude. Cultivate. A God of love, a heart of love toward God. If nothing else, we can thank God for the common graces of life. We can see the sunshine, we can see the clouds, we can feel the breeze flowing over our bodies. We can walk, we can talk, we can see, we can hear. Somebody says, thank God because I got shoes on my feet. I thank God that I got feet to put shoes on. It didn't have to be so. And so the Lord is worthy to be praised. And so we're to thank him every day for his son, Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6 through 9 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontal on your foreheads. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house on your, and on your gates. In other words, diligently cultivating gratitude, cultivating memory of the greatness of who God is. A heart that is grateful toward God makes its boast in the Lord. And may I suggest it makes its boast in nothing else. This is a principle that spills over into all that we do. 
We do not high-five ourselves, nor do we give praise to ourselves. Rather, our desire is to point to the goodness of God for all that we are and all that we do because it is his wisdom, it is his power, it is his provision, it is his opportunities that he provides for us. It is his everything that enables us to be what we are and to do what we do. And David does not talk about his genius in devising a plan to escape uh, King Achish. And by the way, this is just a little nugget I picked up on as I was reading uh, from, from uh, 1 Samuel, which is this, what this is talking about. The, this is, before David was made king, the people who were serving King Achish recognized him as king, even though Saul was still king. Wow. God had already made, placed his mark upon David. And so David is not patting himself on the back about devising such a genius plan. You know, he feigned to be a madman, and so King Achish drove him away. Huh. But rather, he's praising God for what God is doing. And we should praise God. Authentic worship is my next point. Is not a private matter. He says, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. Uh, now, now, please do not misunderstand me. Private prayer and meditation are very, very important in the life of one who believes in the Lord. Private prayer and devotion are very important. But there comes a time when we need to be prepared to boast about the Lord openly, to share what the Lord has done. What does it mean to boast of the Lord? It means to hallow his name. It means to tell of his greatness, to remember that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. To remember that and to boast about it. And mind you, there are people that don't want to hear it, but please know that that should not stop you from boasting about the Lord, for he is your Savior. When he delivered you, they were not around to help. To boast in anything but God is pride, either in yourself or in man. Would you please consider Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, please. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. If you will read in that, in your own reading, the 17th verse shows the one that tops the list. Pride. Pride. Boasting about yourself means that you have made everything possible for yourself. But when you boast in God, you're giving him the glory that's due his name. 
May I suggest that one of the things that seems prominent on the list in our local church is number seven, and that is one who spreads strife among brothers. Dr. Richard Kresher, in his years of research, found that the number one reason why people stopped coming to any church was reported by over 91% of the people citing the significant factor or main reason being conflict and gossip. Too often children grow up and away from the church because their parents have their pastor for dinner. Dr. Kresher found that the number two reason that people stop coming to church is judgmentalism and hypocrisy. When we boast about our own spirituality, when we boast about how wonderful we are, when we boast about how great we are, then we're robbing God of his glory. Because all that we are and all that we hope to be comes because of what the Lord is doing in our lives. First Chronicles, First Corinthians rather, 4, 7 says, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. David says, Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Sometimes we who have been in the faith for a long time, we forget that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When Paul said to the saints at Corinth, he says, but by his doing, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, Boast in the Lord. Do not boast, Jesus says, to the Spirit, that because the Spirit is subject to you. These are the words he spoke to his disciples who had gone out. And Jesus says, that I saw the devil, I saw Satan fall. And the spirits were in subjection to the disciples who had gone out to provide healing to people who needed to be healed, who share the, who, to share the gospel. But Jesus says, do not rejoice in this because spirits are subject to you, but that your names are recorded in heaven. When you see somebody on the streets who maybe look as if they are drunk, you should remember that but for the grace of God, there go I. We should always be ready to give praise, glory, and honor to God. No matter what the Lord enables us to accomplish, the glory belongs to him. The next point I want to make, ladies and gentlemen, is that authentic worship will have an impact on those around you. David says the humble will hear it and rejoice. Authentic worship, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Most of us, or many of us are familiar with 
the Apostle Paul and Silas and uh, what was written in the book of Acts, Acts 6, 16, uh, about them being beaten, being stripped and beaten and thrown into prison, into the inner jail. And the scripture says that at midnight, they sang and prayed unto God. They sang hymns of praise unto God. They were not moaning and groaning about being dis, uh, disrespected or being mistreated. They were praising God. And the scripture says, and those who were in the jailhouse heard them. They heard them. Ladies and gentlemen, when you conduct your life, somebody's watching. Whether you're conducting your life in a way that honors the Lord or a way that dishonors the Lord, somebody is watching. And if you are giving your devotion to the Lord at all times, somebody wants to know what is it that makes you tick. Why do you say, I'm asked so often, uh, why do you say that all the time you're doing better than you deserve? Sometimes, now, in, even in Costco, people, people ask me, well, how are you doing? What? No, no, I know what, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and then I have to say, uh, every now and then I get a moment and say, do you have any, any idea why I say that? Uh, let me tell you about my God. Now, in most of those instances, I only have about 30 seconds, maybe four to five seconds at the most, to talk about the Lord. But the fact that somebody wants to know is important. Now, what if I was constantly saying something else, or my attitude, my conduct was another way? I don't want him to come near me. But they want to know, why do you say that? Because my God is good. My God is good. Uh, I have to make a confession to you, and I probably made this confession before. I, most of the time, I have far more in my notes that my time says that I should share. Uh, <laughs> but please, will you indulge me just a little bit longer? Uh, thank you so much. And I forgot to turn my, my record on, which tells me how long I'm talking. Uh, so I really don't know how long I've been talking. Uh, so, so since I don't know, um, so w w let's just go with this, please. <laughs> Authentic worship is not satisfied in worshiping and praising God alone. Authentic worship wants others to join in worshiping him. Can I get an amen on that? Don't you want people around you to know the joys that you have? Don't you want people to know how good God has been to you? When that worship is authentic, you want people to know. And when you do that, and when people are testifying to the goodness of God, one after another, in a place or a setting like this, it becomes like a symphony that, that rises up in, in a crescendo in praise unto God. God does not want us around high-fiving one another, but praising him for his goodness. We want, I want other people, he says, 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Not everyone will be impacted the same way. But the psalmist didn't waste his time about that. He says, the humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify. What are we talking about? Talk about the greatness of who God is. Talking about the goodness. Talking about all the wonders of our God. That he, in his great love for us, even though we have sinned against him, that he sent his only begotten son out of eternity, who stepped out of eternity into the time, space, and history of mankind so that he, as man, could redeem man from the sins man has committed against God. Only a good God would do that. And we owe him praise. We owe him thanks. And when we give our testimonies, we're really saying to anybody without saying you ought to trust God, we're saying if you just think about what I've just shared, you should trust him too. Why you should trust the Lord? He says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And guess what? He'll deliver you is what you're really saying. And so when you testify, when you're talking about, when you're worshiping, when you're praising the Lord, you're giving witness for a reason why they should trust him. He says, they looked to him and were radiant. And their faces were, will not, never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And what's what he's saying? Look at he will do the same for you. And then he says, try him. You'll love him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter talks about if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. The Lord is good. And the Lord talks about himself being compassionate in 34, uh, Exodus 34, uh, verse 6. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And everyone needs to experience God for themselves. Oh, taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. And then he says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. And it makes a sharp contrast here. For those who fear him, there is no want. But then he says in verse 10, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall never be in want. Isn't this what Jesus was saying to the disciples when they were concerned about having their daily needs met? He says, stop worrying about those things. Stop worrying about whether you're going to get clothes to wear or food to eat. The Lord already knows everything you need. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the necessities of life will be provided. We have the Lord's word on it. Seek, they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. We've got the Lord's word on it. Seek first his kingdom. 
then he says, if I can jump down to verse 11, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 16.6 says, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. By the fear of the Lord. We can fear man or we can fear God. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not simple dread, but it is reverential fear, whereby an individual recognizes the holiness, the power of God, and renders him proper respect and be in submission to him and everything in his life. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The angel of the Lord told Abram, Abraham, after he was prepared to give his only begotten son Isaac on the altar, and God stopped him. The angel of the Lord says, I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Did God know that beforehand? Absolutely. David need, I'm sorry, Abraham needed to come to that point of recognizing what that meant. I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Ladies and gentlemen, my question to you today, do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? Will you trust God with everything in your life? Everything in your life. In Romans 3, 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul gives an indictment against lost citizens and lost sinners, rather. And mind you, let us be reminded that every one of us at one time, was lost. Has anybody got a problem with that? Every one of us. We were not born saved. I remember when I was taking a, a course in a seminary, uh, and it was the beginning of the, 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 the class sessions, and uh, the, teach, the instructor had uh, asked us to introduce ourselves and just tell a little bit about ourselves, and I went on to talking about Oh, how good God was to me and how I had come into a relationship with the Lord and how I was so grateful for his gift of salvation. And uh, one of the fellow classmates says, well, I can't remember a time when I wasn't saved. And I think how sad that you do not realize that you were bought with a price. It was as if you have been always saved. No, you have not always been saved. Paul issues an indictment against lost sinners to both Jews and Gentiles. In other words, the whole world is guilty before God. In verse 10, Paul says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. In verses 11 through 17, he details the evidence of what he says in verse 10. And if you examine that, you'll find that he's quoting from Psalm 13 in 
verse 13 of Romans 3. Psalms 5, verse 9. Psalm 40, verse 3. Psalm, uh, Psalm 10, verse 7. He's also quoting from Isaiah 59, 7 and 8. And you might make a study of that sometime. We don't have time to go into that today. But in verse 18, he gives the root cause of what he talks about in the previous verse. He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This speaks of pride and arrogance. And so getting back to what David is, is saying, come you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. A.W. Tozer wrote, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Our idea of God, says Toza, determines our worship. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. For a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. It is to worship as the foundation is to the temple, where it is inadequate or out of plumb, the whole structure must sooner or later collapse. So don't miss that when David says, come, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. There are many people who come and make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without any embarrassment to the old Adamic nature. It is so important that we realize that the reason Jesus came is because of sin. And sin brings about death. But Jesus came to give us life. Tozer writes, says, perverted notions about God soon rot the religion in which they appear. So necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards decline along with it. The first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. Our opinion of God determines what we understand he will and will not accept. When we witness to unsaved people, the ultimate goal of our witness or our testimony is not to see them saved. Somebody says, huh? No. The ultimate goal is worship of our God. God does not save people to keep them out of hellfire. Now, I must confess to you that's a pretty good deal from my viewpoint. But that is not the number one reason God saved me. The number one reason God saves me, the number one reason God saves you is to bring you into a right, loving relationship with himself. And that results in worship. When we have a right relationship with God, we can't help but worship God. We can't help but praise him. The modern church has made conversion a one-sided endeavor where we only talk about the love of God, the goodness of God. 
See, if David had left it just as, let me tell you what God has done for me. No, he stopped. He goes on and say, come, children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Evelyn Underhill wrote in 1928, Manu, that was 94 years ago, to a Congress of Church of England clergy said, we are drifting toward a religion which consciously or unconsciously keeps its eye on humanity rather than deity. If you look at what has happened to the church in England, we can see the results. I'm afraid that the same pattern is working in the United States today. Uh, Evelyn Underhill goes on to say, we talk of men and their needs, their problems, their programs, their methods, their efforts, their sermons, their songs, their books, their churches, their organizations. Somehow we've lost sight of the fact that worship has to do with being more conscious of God than man. Come, children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He says, who is the man who, deserve, who desires life and love length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And by the way, Peter quotes this also in 1 Peter chapter 3. And so when we think about this, he's talking about what God has done. He's talking about the fear of the Lord and who the Lord listens to. He ends his lesson talking about the faithfulness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 17 talks about the Lord is near. Verse 18 uh, says the Lord is near. The Lord delivers. Uh, verse 20, the Lord keeps. Verse 22, the Lord redeems. So when we read 1 Peter, we need to ask ourselves, where did Peter get his information? Well, he got it from the psalmist. Well, where did the psalmist get his information? He got it from Moses. If you study Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy 30, you will see that. The Lord is near those who are of a broken heart. David Cerullo, in his book, Pursuing the, His Presence, Intimacy with God, revealed in the tabernacle, wrote, but the reality is that God's presence doesn't manifest in response to our sufferings. It comes in response to our brokenness. When we are broken, the heavens open. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so we need to ask ourselves in our, in our trials and our tribulations, why isn't the Lord manifesting his presence? Why are we not realize? we need to ask the question, are we broken? Because the Lord enters at the point of our brokenness. And so an important word comes into play here, and that word is repentance. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Says verse 18 of Psalm 34. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. 
Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice of God, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart does not say to the woman whose apple pie you've just insulted. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and I'm going to buy some apples and I'm going to buy all the ingredients. I'm going to come and I'm going to show you how to make a good apple pie. When you come and present your own goodness before God as the basis of which he should accept you, that's what you're saying to him. You're saying just like that, that man saying to that woman whose apple pie he is just insulted, come, I'm going to show you how to bake a good apple pie. No, the way you come to her is you want to get back into her good graces. You come on your knees, crying, kneeling, asking for forgiveness for having insulted her. And we need to come to God in our brokenness. Because therefore God, that's where God is willing to meet you. In our brokenness. The prodigal son about whom we read in Luke 15 not only recognized his deplorable condition, he realized how he got there. It was his sin. He, he also realized what he needed to do. He says, I will get up and I will go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That is a broken and a contrite heart. And so the word says, the Lord redeems the souls of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. When we come in our brokenness, when we come confessing that we deserve no good thing from him, when we come pleading on his goodness and his goodness alone, his mercy and his grace, that's where God meets us and nowhere else. This time I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. If you're here today and you've been listening to these words and you have not come to know Jesus for yourself. If you've not come to realize that you need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is that one and only Savior. I, I trust that these final words I'm going to say will speak to your hearts. They're actually the words of a song just as I am. And if you feel like you would like to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, by all means, come down front. The words of that song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcome with open arms just as I am. Please know if you're willing to come to the Lord in with that heart attitude. Not that you feel that you now have gotten it together, may I suggest to you, you have not. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can make you fit to come into the presence of the Father. It is the shedding of his blood. It is he who redeems you. And the Apostle Paul lets us know in 
throughout the book of Romans, but especially I'm thinking of Romans chapter 8 and the, uh, the final verses of Romans chapter 8. That when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and give yourself to him, there's nothing in your past, nothing in your present, nothing in your future that will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Are you willing to come? As the praise team sings, let the words that have been spoken to you speak to your heart. If you feel that you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, you're welcome to come. Aren't you glad I am that Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. This is not the place where people have got it all together. We don't. The only one who's got it together is Jesus. And we stand in him and in him alone.